Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to talk about staying awake, staying clothed. The Lord's command for his church right in the middle of all of this wild times at the very end of history. Father God, we ask for the word to open up to us. I ask for a a strength and a clear mind for me and a heart that we can hear your voice. I pray for open ears, Lord, for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As the final seven-year period draws to an end, Persecution of believers will reach unprecedented levels. Uh, There's no question that there is a final seven-year period. It is so specific in the Bible. It'll be divided three and a half years and three and a half years, and we've been watching that progress as we've been going along. We are coming now to the the end of that entire seven-year period in, in the chapters we're looking at now. Not only will people be killed for their faith, But false religious leaders will perform amazing miracles in order to convince people to worship the Antichrist. Now, many people believe that the church will have been raptured before this seven-year period. uh, But whether or not the church has been raptured, there will be many believers, however they come. They may come after that period of time, but whatever, there's going to be lots of people who come to the Lord and lots of people who are murdered for their faithfulness in Christ. So that's just absolutely clear. So... At the same time, God will have begun judging the earth for murdering his followers. Natural catastrophes will shake the planet. Severe global warming, drought, a plague of ulcerous sores. I, I, I simply po- uh, pose the question, could it be melanoma, malignant melanoma? An atmosphere so polluted, daylight will grow dark. And though people will realize God is the one causing these troubles, hearts will have grown so hard by the, this point that most will readily blaspheme him rather than repent. Right in the middle of these terrible visions, John hears Jesus speak. With a few simple statements, he encourages his church to remain faithful, even when everything around seems to be going wrong. There will be a final generation who desperately need to hear these words, but so do we who live in this generation. We, and I say, I have in parentheses there, in America, because some parts of the world today are going through horrific persecution. And they were to say, what do you mean? (laughs) This is pretty well already arrived for us. Uh, But we in America may not face the same degree of opposition, but the same enemy opposes our faith. We too must stay awake. We too must keep our clothes because Jesus is coming like a thief. Let's discover what this means and how to do it. Chapter 15. Again, I'm not going to read the chapter. I am just going to highlight a few things uh, and give you a sense of the overall flow of it. A reminder. One of the organizing things in the book of Revelation is that you have seven seals, you have seven trumpets, and you have seven bowls. The seals were sealing wax blobs, as it were, along the edge of a great scroll that was in the Father's hand, and it was the unfulfilled prophecies about Jesus Christ. He had fulfilled much of of prophecy in coming the first time and dying on the cross, but there was much of him coming as the Lion of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, that had not been fulfilled. So as each of those seals is broken, so the scroll can be opened and read and their prophecies brought to pass we saw that the, there was a release of the Antichrist's kingdom. The Antichrist's kingdom as such has been prevented all of these millennia through human history. It tried to rise, first of all, with Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. Uh, God stopped it then and divided the nations in different languages and all so that we would be separated so that the, there could be no one world empire which forced its people to worship its ruler. That's the heart of the, empire, of the Antichrist's empire. But at the end of time, God will allow that Antichrist's empire to rise. 
You think it's bad now? There is a great deal of freedom that God has given the, the human race. And that brings sin. And so we look around and we say, look at all this sin. Why does God allow it? But I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. You have no idea. You're living in a time of protection. You're living in a time when God does restrain this most severe kinds of evil. Why? He is harvesting the earth. The, the people are coming to him. Uh, the last figure I heard was 165,000 people a day. So the church is growing today more rapidly than ever in history. Never has there been such an inflow into the kingdom of God. But that, uh, uh, that requires that you people have the freedom to choose right or wrong. And in choosing wrong, evil takes place. So you have a, this, this thrashing of evil going on while God is harvesting souls out of this troubled season we live in. There'll come a moment when those seals are broken. It'll be opened and, the angel, and, the, and the, uh, actually the, the living being around the throne of God will say, come. And the rider will go out on a white horse with a gold crown and a bow. And, a, and another rider will go out on a black horse with a pair of scales in his hand, etc. And the, and the Antichrist kingdom will take place. Then you come to the trumpets. And the trumpets were the shofar. The shofar is this great ram's horn. It's a beautiful curled thing. And, and, and the symbol there is with each blast of the trumpet, like a watchman on the wall, the world is warned of the coming judgments. So it's... And then, and then, and with each one of those things, the first four in particular are natural catastrophes, and then you have these demonic catastrophes, uh, where they, basically the abyss is opened up, and this great cloud of demonic presence just floods the earth. I think we got demons now. Uh, the earth will be just saturated its atmosphere with demonic presence. It's a horrible picture, but God is warning the earth of judgment to come, and warning the earth of hell. And calling on repentance. And at that season still, during the trumpets, people are repenting still. People are coming to Jesus Christ. But we have now arrived, where we're studying, we're at the bowls. Now the bowls are not meant for warning. They're not meant for release. The bowls are the beginning of judgment. By now, no one is really repenting at all. That has stopped. And they have been martyring the believers of Jesus Christ at great numbers. And their blood calls out for justice. Their voices call out at the altar of prayer uh, for justice before God. And finally, that moment has arrived. And God begins, the angels begin to pour out seven bowls out onto the earth, which are just the wrath of God. The judgment has begun. And we'll see what that looks like. Now here, uh, just one comment in chapter 15. Chapter 15, John has a picture of heaven. And he's seeing the throne room of God with the martyrs who have come out of the, of the tribulation period standing on the sea of glass. Now, the sea of glass is the term used for a great flat surface, a clear crystalline surface that is beneath the throne of God. Not only does John see it, other prophets see the same thing. It's there. There apparently is a great crystal-like floor of glass beneath the throne of God, and, 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 and it's huge, and multitudes and multitudes of people can stand before the Lord and, and worship Him. So he sees the martyrs there, and he sees them singing, it says, the, the song of Moses and also the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is the song that Moses and Miriam and everyone sang, if you recall, when they had passed through the Red Sea, escaping Pharaoh's army. Do you recall that back with the Exodus? Israel had, had fled out of Egypt. Pharaoh had changed his mind and sent his army. And they got trapped against the Red Sea. The sea parted Israel, two million people nearly, passed through to the eastern shore. And as soon as the last person got in, you have Pharaoh's army charging into this valley between the, the walls of water and then the ocean closing in over them and drowning them. At that moment, as those bodies floated up of, the, of Pharaoh's army, Israel was at last beyond the reach of their oppressors. Never again could they be taken back into slavery in Egypt. you see that? They were free forever. Never again could that 
power, take them back into bondage. And they danced and they sang a song of Moses. Moses composed it. We have the song. So the picture here is that the martyrs who've come out, who've, who've held on to Jesus Christ through this terrible time, and, and the, not, the, not the devil, not the antichrist, not the false prophet, not nothing has been able to take them away from Jesus Christ. And there they are on the sea of glass singing the song of Moses. They too are on the eastern shore, as it were, triumphing, saying, never again can anyone oppress us. Never again can the devil touch us. Never again can this horrible uh, environment ever have anything to do with us again. We now have nothing but the joy of the Lord ahead of us forever. And they'd sing, and, and I'll bet they dance. That's my guess. I'd be dancing if I were them. All right. Now chapter 16. Now we see the bold judgments. Remember, this isn't the sermon yet. This is, this is, this is teaching. I'm bringing you up to speed. All right. Now we have the angels pouring out these bowls. And the first bowl is verse 2. The angel poured out on the earth a bowl and it became malignant. Uh, it says, mine says, loathsome and malignant sores on the people. Um, I simply... Some sort of ulcerous sores are on the people. They are miserable, physically miserable. This is like the boils, of course, in, in, the, in the plagues in Egypt. I think it's probably malignant melanoma because in a, in a few verses, we're going to find that the sun is going to scorch the earth. Enormous heat. The sun, I mean, we're global warming apparently is coming big time. And it's going to scorch the earth. And if that kind of sunlight's coming down, um, I would assume you've got some real skin problems. But that's just my guess. Verse the second bowl is verse 3. The, it says the angel poured it out on the sea and it became blood. It, I, I think it turns red in color and all the living things in the sea die. I think the oceans, this is my speculation again, but it appears that the oceans are heating up. They're probably warm. Currents change, stop, and they stagnate, probably just filled with red algae. And then it says every living thing. So imagine all the fish, the whales, the Octopus, <laughs> octopi is it? I don't know, plural. Um, all of it are, are rotting on the shores and floating belly up in the thing. You have a huge stagnant um, bowl of soup. Um, yeah, there you go. Sorry, let's move on, Steve. And then verse, and the, the third bowl, the, it, it's poured out on the rivers and the springs of waters. They also become blood. In other words, they are death. They are, whether they're drying up, whether they're turning red in, I think they're turning red in color as well. It, the whole picture is that the earth is, is bearing witness against the murders of the martyrs. The angel will say, you are, you are righteous, O Lord, there in verse 5, for Verse 6, they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, it said that Abel's blood, uh, Cain had, had killed his brother, and God says, where's your brother? Abel go or Cain goes through that routine of, I, I don't know. And, and then God says, do I not hear his blood crying to me from the ground? All right, slain blood cries out. And the earth now is hemorrhaging, as it were. The waters turn red like blood, all of them. And there's a stench and there's death as the earth just cries out and says, I'm filled with the blood of saints. I'm filled with the blood of saints. I call for justice. The whole earth is crying for justice now. Then the fourth bowl, verse 8, this fourth angel poured out a bowl on the sun and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. See that? Verse 9, they were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent. So we've got, a, we've got a point now where the earth is just absolutely divided. You have those who are willing to die for Christ and those who hate his guts. Uh, there is no fence to sit on. There is no middle ground. There are no lukewarm. You're either in or you're out. You either hate him or you love him. The earth is now divided, which is God's purpose. God does not want anyone left undecided. Anyone left who, who, will, who will perish in hell without having understood. By the way, as you watch what he does through this season, you realize how committed he is that people will have a chance to hear. Now you have this argument, what, what about people who've never heard? I don't know, but watch what God does through, the, through this period of time and you see his heart. He wants everyone to understand. Now verse 10, this is the fifth bowl. And it says its darkness was, uh, the, uh, 
poured out on the kingdom and it became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed God because of their pains and their sores and again didn't repent. Okay, so here's the situation. You have people covered with sores of some kind. You ha- they're miserable. It is hot beyond belief. They're thirsty because the water has all stagnated now. And it's dark, whether it's dark because the atmosphere is full of debris and, 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 and smoke and dust, it's polluted dark, or whether it's a supernatural darkness, it's not said, but it's dark. Dark, hot, thirsty, and they're gnawing their tongues. What does that sound like? Yeah, it's hell. Hell on earth. Even this is an act of mercy. God is giving the earth a taste of hell and saying, do you really want to go there? You say, why would he do that? Well, as long as there's life, there's hope. If they don't repent, it is not his fault. They still can repent. And he is literally saying, this is your destiny. Repent. And it says they gnawed their tongues in pain and cursed him. Wow. That's dumb. I mean... That is, you look in the dictionary under dumb, and that's what you see. (laughs) Next one. Uh, uh, It's the sixth bowl on verse 12. It says that the Euphrates River is dried up. Um, Now, the, the, the Euphrates River in God's economy, I know this is coming fast, but hang on. The Euphrates River is the northern border of the promised land. Genesis 15, verse 18, God says, I give you the land up to the Euphrates River, specifically says the Euphrates River. All right, so that what happens here as God, in this drought, in this heat, it's not hard to imagine that that river has physically dried up or is just a trickle so that military vehicles can drive through. There's no longer a barrier there in any form. But here's the real point. When God was allowing Israel to come in and to occupy and conquer the promised land, he st- Stopped the Jordan River. Recall that? And they passed over on dry land. He has now removed the barrier to the, to, the, to the land of Israel and said to Antichrist's kingdom lying east of Israel, come on in. He's pulled the barrier back and invited these invading forces because that's what's happening. The army is coming across. It says the kings of the east are allowed to come in to invade the promised land. Now in Israel's case, when the nation was led into the promised land, they were led in to conquer it. In this case, Israel, uh, the, these invading armies are being drawn in by God. He's bringing them all to one place, which will be his wine press. He's bringing them to destroy them. They are being gathered so he can crush them. It's quite a picture. People, when you read the phrase kings of the east, everybody thinks of East Asia, but it does not at all require that. Whenever they refer to the sons of the east in the Bible, it's anybody living east of Israel. Um, Jacob goes for a wife to the sons of east. He goes to southern Turkey. So it does not imply at all necessarily East Asia. It simply implies probably Iran, uh, Iraq, those areas, Turkey, those areas there can just as well be the sons of the east. Uh, that are, or the kings of the east that are being drawn in. Then they all gather. It takes a miracle to get this army together. Now, if you were covered with sores, if it was so hot you could hardly believe it, if you're thirsty and somebody said, let's have a war, would you go? <laughs> have your own war, man. I'm not moving. I'm just scratching my sores. So it takes a miracle to get this miserable population to come together for, for in, an, in an army for a multinational force against Israel. So the Antichrist, it says, sends out a message. And John sees the, he sees the, the dragon, he says there, the beast, and the false prophet. That means Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet who's, who is bringing the world to worship Antichrist. Out of their mouths come a frog, each one. This frog, ugly picture. Uh, something said, my guess is they're saying our problems, this, the heat, the drought, the, the misery that we're going through is being brought on by Israel's God. 
If we crush Israel, we'll be free of this. Something's said, at at least it works. And they all gather, it says, verse 16, they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And that is up in the Jezreel Valley, north of the Carmel Range. And uh, this, I think, is the staging area because the real war is against Jerusalem. Uh, I give you the references, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, Joel 3. You must read those. This battle has been prophesied since the 7th century BC. It's amazing and described in detail. And it's, be, it's being picked right up here in the book of Revelation. It's the same battle. And it's the battle for Jerusalem. But they will stage, apparently, up there in the Jezreel Valley. And that's where God will crush them. How will he crush them? That's in the seventh bowl. He uses 100-pound hailstones. That'll work. Oh, baby. I mean, uh, they're out on the fields. They're they're massed in an army. And and it's a huge one. And 100-pound hailstones. Huge earthquake. Everybody's knocked to the ground. And these hailstones come down. And God treads the winepress of his wrath. It'll work. All right, now the sermon. Verse 15. In the midst of this picture, of all this trouble that I have described of the last three and a half years, and we're, we're at the end of that period. Here comes Antichrist's army, all these bowls, this suffering and this misery. In the midst of it, Jesus inter interrupts, as it were, and speaks a word directly, I think, to, the, to the, that last day's church, to the seven churches to whom this is written, and to every generation who reads it. He says this, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Why don't you read verse 15 aloud with me? Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that they will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Jesus, in the midst of this, speaking to people, as I said, there's, there's still believers present on the earth, and he speaks to them and he says, don't give up. Don't fall asleep. Don't lose your faith. You know, when things are going really bad, like, it's hard to have faith. Things in, their, in this point in history are going really bad. I mean, it is horrible. And the church needs that word of encouragement, that, that admonition from the Lord. And so he says to that generation, and he would say to our generation, blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes. Let's see what those various statements mean. First of all, he says he's coming like a thief. That means that the physical return of Jesus Christ will be sudden and unexpected. So a person must stay constantly ready. I cannot take my spiritual life, uh, get my spiritual life in order just before he comes back. You're not going to game the system. You're not going to play God and say, okay, I, I know when he's coming back, so about a month or three months ahead of time, I'll do some serious repenting, and I'm, I'll get in, ha, 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 and I'll still live like the devil till then, and I'm going to beat, beat the system. No, you're not. It says, you won't know. I'm going to catch it. I'll show up. And so a disciple plans this way, that they will keep their spiritual life healthy, for their entire lifetime. You need to pace yourself. It's a marathon we're in. You need to plan on living out a life for Jesus Christ. Not simply flaming up for a, for a brief season and then losing your fire. You need to pace yourself and walk with Jesus. Developing disciplines and patterns in your life. So that your heart stays aflame until the bridegroom re- returns. This coming of like a thief. He says it over and over again. You won't know when I'm coming. You must be prepared. Some people are afraid of being caught, you know, in the middle of sin if Jesus were to return. But I don't know how to tell you this. But there are video cameras and they're running now. And they're recording. And so you're being watched, as it were. Everything you do, every word, every thought is known now. So it doesn't matter whether the sky opens up and he shows up and goes, aha, Gotcha. He knows. He knows. 
if we really get that through our head, it just changes the way we live. <laughs> you know, you know. I remember even when I was a teenager, when I date, there was somebody else in the car. I mean, it just changed the way you dated because Jesus was there. It changes your thinking if you just understand that simple truth. But he says, I come like a thief. This disciples should discipline their lives so they're always ready to meet him and are full of faith uh, when, when they die. That, that's the point where you particularly want to have that faith. The parable of the ten virgins is so vivid at this. Jesus says there were ten young women, and their job was to welcome the bridegroom to the bridal party. It's a nighttime wedding, and the bridegroom is going to come down the road, and when he does, these women are going to take their oil lamps. They'll be those flat clay lamps with a little wick, and they're to go out and light the way. So they'll be carrying these lamps, you know, walking in front of him, this beautiful processional, as it were, with the lights. And it said that five of the women took extra oil with them. They had a little supply, a vial of oil. So in case it took a long time for him to show up, they could add extra oil to their lamp. And five of them did not. And it said that the bridegroom's coming delayed. And he didn't come when, when they expected, but took a long time to come. And so a number, the five who did not bring extra oil, the light burned out on their lamp. They did not stay awake. They fell asleep spiritually. The message of that parable is so clear. You and I are responsible to add oil. It's not our oil, it's the Holy Spirit. But it's your, your responsibility and mine to keep refreshing that faith, to keep being refreshed in the Spirit of God so that our faith burns brightly until the coming of the bridegroom. I'll comment again in a minute. He says, stay awake. Blessed is the one who stays awake. It is my responsibility to repeatedly refresh my faith so that it stays alive over a lifetime. Only I can make certain decisions. Do I believe in Jesus? You know, you can be raised in a Christian family, but their faith isn't your faith. At whatever point you become an adult, you must have your own faith. He become, must become your Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. You can't ride on other people's faith. It has to be your own. Do I exist after I die? You know, you have to come to grips with that. Do you or don't you? Because some people uh, live their lives as if this is all there is. There's no real sense that something happens after you die. Everything depends on that. Everything depends on that. If nothing happens after we, we die, then this whole gathering is just nuts. We shouldn't be here. We should be out knocking down a cold one, I guess, or something, you know. Uh, because we've gathered with, you know, worshiping God and believing God and trusting God and, and, and people are, 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 are taking up their cross and denying themselves to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if he's not been resurrected from the dead, then neither are we and we of all men are most to be pitied. So you have to decide. You have to decide and no one can decide this for you. Is there life after death or is there not? Because it makes all the difference in the world. It's one of those decisions. And then, can my decisions here in this life change my destiny in eternity? In parable after parable, Jesus spends his, just pours out his heart trying to say, do you get it? The decisions you make here affect eternity. He said, this, the little treasures of this earth, the things that you, the little baubles and, 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 and sparkly stuff that you get here is nothing compared to the riches of eternal life. He said, sell all that you have here to possess that. And there's a prioritization there. There's a value structure that you, you either see it or you don't. And some people just seem, they just don't see it. And I, I don't know what to do. How do I, that must be a work of the Holy Spirit that, that, that I know he wants to do it in everyone's life. But if you see it, it changes everything. It becomes urgent that I stay awake. We must decide 
that it's, it's an important, but I also must accept the fact that it is my responsibility to stay awake. Now, I, I know that is not something the American church likes to hear. The American church wants to hear at least one point of, of Calvinism, and that is the American church wants to hear, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's nothing you can ever do to jeopardize your salvation. So though when you were 13, you went down and you received Christ, even if you spent the rest of your life selling drugs to school children, you're still going to heaven. You just don't have any rewards there, and oh, that's too bad. I, I, had, I had a very sincere man um, argue with me over, over this very point, and I know this is an issue. And he would argue, as, as everyone who's ever argued on this with me does, and that is philosophically. Once you're born again, can a, can a baby that's born be unborn? Can you, can you just inherit? You know, and they start arguing these kinds of philosophical principles. And all I kept saying is, that's philosophy, but the Bible says this. Look, I don't care about philosophical reasoning. Philosophical reasoning can get just, you know, you can be logical and get yourself in a real mess. The Bible gives warnings. Verse 15 today in chapter 16 is one of those. What does he say? It isn't my fault he said it. What did he say? He said, behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who? Now, why would he say that? If you couldn't fall asleep. Why would he bother? Well, it's pretty. Why would he say it? He says it because there is a possibility. Is he faithful to preserve us? Absolutely. Will he fight for your soul to the very last breath in your body? Yes, he will. You bet he will. If you end up losing, I mean, you don't lose it. You, 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 you jettison it. And, and if that takes place, I mean, there's nobody to blame but yourself. It won't be an accident. It'll be a deliberate thing. So God's great arms come around us and protect us. It's his care that will hold us. But you still have a responsibility to choose over and over again to flee to Jesus. You must come to Jesus. You must prioritize that. There is a part you play. And I have no other defense than probably a page long of scripture passages that all point to the fact that we have a responsibility here. So argue philosophically all you want with me. The Bible, and you know it if you're honest, says I have a responsibility to guard my heart. Doesn't it? Yes. It does. So let's just take it for what it is. Not being insecure or frightened, but simply realizing I do have a part to play. Here are some steps you can take. Here's putting it in the negative and then I'll put it in the positive. I need, as a believer, to avoid addictive sin. And I'll talk about how to do that in the positives. I need to avoid the grip of greed and wealth. Money has a, has a problem to it. I need to avoid false doctrines. I need to avoid harboring offense against others. The, Jesus says, if I will not forgive, in other words, I have this bitter, hard heart toward people, God will not forgive me either. So it's, it's just one of those deals. I need to keep my heart clean and, and, and I need to forgive regularly and, and, and re reconcile. Avoiding the accumulation of guilt. Um, not confessing sins, in other words. You, 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 you keep sinning, your guilt just keeps building, but you don't come to Jesus. We put communion trays across the front of here, for one of, the, one of the main reasons is so we don't accumulate guilt. We keep short accounts with God. There is just a wonderful invitation to confess your sins and, and, and remind your heart of Jesus' finished work on the cross. We need to avoid a cold heart toward God. We need to worship. We need to love him. We need to keep that relationship with him alive and healthy. I think Jesus calls it abiding. He says, abide in me. We need to avoid fruitlessness. He says, frankly, if you do abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Now, here's the positive way of saying these things. We need to deliberately break addictive habits through deliverance, confession, prayer, removal of the opportunity. There's nobody trapped that can't come out. When the sun sets free is... Free. Yeah, it is. He is. And so you just can be free, but it, there are some steps, and I'd list some there. Some of us need some deliverance. We need somebody to help us break the, the hole that's there. We need to confess our sins uh, openly to someone so that it's no longer hidden in the dark. Prayer and removal of opportunity. We need to, number two, deliberately break the lure of wealth. You know, I, I know that there are, are whole portions of the American church that spend their whole, most of their time 
talking about what you believe and what you say and what you do so that you can become wealthy. But this pursuit of wealth is grotesque. It is grotesque. Don't tell me it is what Jesus came to do. He said, get, he's constantly trying to say, don't you see, it's about people. It's not about stuff. He is a generous Lord. Any one of us who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness have found that he provides for us. He clothes us like the lilies of the field. He feeds us like the birds of the air. And that he's a generous and a kind father who actually is abundant with us. None of us who walk with him in faith are suffering. He's good to us. But he does not want us pursuing the things of the world. He doesn't want us lusting and greed. And greed. It, Paul says it's the root of all evil. It's a very dangerous thing. And here's the American church, the most wealthy uh, society in all of history. No, I, no, I mean, I've been around the world. Nobody lives like you live and I live. And here we are believing for more. I mean, it just becomes ridiculous at some point. Uh, so how does God break that lure of wealth? Tithing and giving. Most people who argue against tithing are just cheap. And they just want to keep it for themselves, bottom line. They're looking for a loophole. And it means you've got the disease. It means you've got the disease. I'm sorry. Living simply. I have got Quaker roots. And I'm going to tell you something. The Quakers had something to say for themselves in this. Just like, why accumulate lots of stuff? Now, I... You look at my garage and you'd know I'm no Quaker. Um, I believe in it. And, and, and living simply and not having uh, all kinds of stuff just accumulating. Honest financial practices, regular worship. These things prune the heart. <clears throat> deliberately, number three, deliberately reading the Bible rather than only listening to human teachers. That'll keep you from heresy. In order to become a heretic, you need help. If you just read the Bible, you'll never become a heretic. It's always someone who comes along and says, now, that doesn't really mean what you think it means there. What it really means is, and then they, and then they twist it. You always need someone to teach you if you're going to become a heretic. You take any school child and just have them read the Bible, they'll come out fine. So the best solution, the best antidote to heresy is just read the book. Read it a lot. You'll be fine deliberately seeking reconciliation and letting love protect me from offense. That's keeping my heart free of offense. Deliberately confessing sins to God and others. Um, not allowing sin and, and shame to accumulate. Receiving Jesus' cleansing work over and over again through communion, maybe an LTG. We call, those are life transformation groups. Uh, confessing to a pastor. However, Deliberately refreshing my love for God through daily prayer, worship, and acknowledging Him in all my ways. Deliberately scheduling time to serve the Lord, serving in church, mission teams, praying for unbelievers, living as a witness in the world. Notice the word deliberately. That's the point. You need to choose. Nobody can make you. Nobody can just inspire you week after week. I mean, it's my job to teach the word, but I can't somehow give, make you so emotionally, you know, just pumped that you go out and just, you know, you're St. Francis of Assisi week after week. <laughs> There's no sermon that will do that for you. It's a decision you make. A decision based on real values. Sure, I hope the sermon is a good one, but whether or not it is, you still are accountable before your own Lord to serve him to be faithful to him, to be fruitful to him. And it's a decision you make in the heart. It's choices we make. And then he says, keep clothed. And that's an odd statement, isn't it? He says, not only stay awake, but keeps his clothes. And you say, what are we talking about here? Here's what it means. I will never abandon my faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. I will never doubt the power of his blood to cleanse me, nor his willingness to forgive me if I will repent. The way you become unclothed, the way you become naked so that your sins and your shame are exposed, is to not have the robe of righteousness around you. Best illustration of this is the prodigal son. You recall the young man left his home and spent his money and lived immorally and ended up working in a pigsty for a farmer. He became dressed in rags dirty, filthy, broken. And it finally he repented. 
And he said, it was better in my father's house than it is here. And he said, I, I don't deserve to be a son, but I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, can I be a slave? Can I work as one of your slaves or as a, as a, as a, a servant in your household? I, you shouldn't call me a son ever, ever again. So he headed home. And it said as he came down the road, it saw, the father saw him at a great distance. And what did the father do? He ran to meet him. And then what was the first thing the father did? I think the picture I have is right out there on the road somewhere. He literally came out. And here's this dirty boy just covered, you know, with all of the mud and the filth and who knows what. And dressed in rags and, 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 and covered with this probably smelled horrible. And the father does what? He takes a, ro a robe and he wraps it around him so that his nakedness is seen no longer. He is now covered with the father's robe. That's what Jesus does for us. And he says, don't ever walk away from my righteousness. Don't ever walk away from what my blood has done for you on the cross. Don't ever forsake that and turn away from that. Don't ever become naked. Don't ever be without my robe of righteousness. I am clothed with his righteousness so that my, my sins and shame cannot be seen. I will not give up because of frustration with my own ability. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons that I have seen people walk away from their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here are a couple of reasons that I've seen that happen. One is people become so frustrated with themselves. I will not give up because of frustration with my own ability to stop sinning. People say this, how could he still love me or forgive me? I have not seen people ever leave Christianity and go into witchcraft. But I have seen people do this. Grow so ex exasperated with themselves. Trying to stop sinning. Trying to be the person they want to be. They fail, they fail, they fail. They promise God they won't and then they fail and they promise God they won't and then they fail and they become so angry at themselves, so disgusted with themselves that the message goes in deep. He couldn't possibly love me anymore. He couldn't possibly believe me when I apologize and repent anymore. He, he's got to be through. And people say, I don't know. I must not be cut out for this Christian thing. And they will turn and they will walk away from God in shame. That's what he means. Don't ever walk away. Listen to me. The power, never, never doubt the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you. Amen. If I keep sinning, yes. This is not a ticket. This is not, sin brings its troubles, doesn't it? We all know that. We want to be free from sin. We're not looking for a license to sin. But, but some of these things Take a long time to go. And all of us are in a process of growing into Christ-likeness and, and frustrate ourselves. I mean, you get rid of one sin, you find another one. Have you done that yet? You know, you're finally walking to total victory in this area and you realize, boy, what a jerk I am over here. I don't know. So busy with that, I didn't realize. Then you got a new one to work on. And then when that one goes, you got a new one to work on. It's peeling an onion, folks. And, and you can get so frustrated with yourself that you decide... He doesn't want you anymore. Listen to this. I, I got to say this real carefully. Don't ever stop coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't ever let go. Cling to him and never let go. Jesus died not only for the sins you have committed. He died for the sins you haven't committed yet. He paid for all of human sin in total when he died on the cross. So everything, even you say I've done it a thousand times. It's all been paid for. All thousand of them were already paid for. You are not putting him back on the cross when you sin again. As long as you reach out to him in faith, with a repentant heart and, and faith, you are washed. Don't ever back away. Don't ever let the devil tell you you're not wanted. You are wanted. In fact, it is his grace that buys us the time to grow and change. If it weren't for that, there isn't a person in the room that's going to heaven. His constant mercy while we keep sinning is what allows us to change and become free from sin. 
His washes us. He washes us. He washes us. He wants us with him. And the other one is, I will not let someone teach me a different gospel. It causes me to stop trusting the righteousness of faith. There are people, there are whole religions that would say, well, Jesus died on the cross. We, yeah, we know that. But you really have to earn your salvation. Or you have to earn it to the next level if you want to be one of the elite crew. This, and they start bringing this whole thing in there. Don't ever let anyone take you away from the fact that Jesus Christ died and paid for it all. Paul says in Philippians 3, I love that passage. Paul says this, he says, if anyone had a right to claim righteousness because they've been a really good guy, I'd be it. I mean, it's a humble statement. He says, I am Hebrew of Hebrews. I am, I am just the best Jew that ever lived. Be quite frank. I'll just be frank with you, he says. If anyone had a right to claim you'd earned something, I'd be the guy. And then he says this, but he says, I count it garbage, trash, rubbish. That's the words he uses in Greek. I count it rubbish compared to the righteousness of God which is given in faith. He says, I cast it all aside that I might possess the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. That's what you want. That's all you want. Don't let anyone ever tell you there's another one or that you have to earn something. You will never earn it. You will never earn anything. The, the, the only righteousness that will open the door to heaven, the only righteousness that makes you a, 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 a temple of the Holy Spirit, the only righteousness that washes away your sins, the only righteousness that causes the advocate with the Father to say, That's, that one's mine. His name's written in my book. The only righteousness, the only thing that will ever put you on that list is that you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the rock between, beneath your feet that when the wind and the waves come and when you stumble and fall and when struggles are there and you fail and you do dumb stuff, that foundation never changes. You got it? Don't let anyone teach you out of it. Don't let the devil shame you out of it. Don't let anything move you away from the cross of Jesus Christ. That your nakedness might not be shown. Because on the day of judgment, man, I guess it's going to get played on the big screen. Something everybody sees, apparently. It's, it's some ugly event. I mean, I do not want to be there, and I won't be there. Praise the Lord. Here's the last. Though I am responsible to choose rightly, I will never forget that only he has the power to protect and preserve me. So I will run back to his arms again and again. Don't hear me today say that you can, you are, it is up to your willpower to stay faithful to Jesus. If it were not for his power and his protection, none of us would stand. But you still have a will. And the will that you are responsible to exercise is quite simple. Just keep running back to Jesus. It's all you have to do. He'll provide the deliverance. He'll provide the power. He'll provide the protection. He'll do it all, but he can't take your heart and make you run to him. Seek the Lord that you may be found of him. And so, in so many different ways, we just come back to him over and over again. We hang on to him in our hearts, and then he holds on to us, and it's his big arms that will preserve us. I'm going to heaven because he is faithful to keep me from falling and to present me faultless and without blame before his glorious throne. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me? As I've been talking today, particularly talking about the things that would drag us away from absolute trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Is there anybody? And the, well, the enemy had gotten in there and said, you know, by now you should have had that fixed. If you were really a Christian, you'd have had your act together by now. You're a loser. He didn't want you anymore. He's sick of you. He's sick of hearing your apologies. He's sick of hearing you beg and snivel. He's tired of you. You just aren't cut out of the right stuff. And today you recognize that's a, that's a, a lie out of the pit of hell. He is not tired of you. He want, the one thing he'd grieve him is that you wouldn't come back and just say, Lord, I've sinned again. Let him wash you clean again. He'll keep cleaning you. 
until he can change us and free us. He knows your heart. He knows that you, you want to be free. He also knows why you aren't. He's in the process of bringing us there. It's not an excuse. But boy, if it weren't for that mercy, well, I wouldn't make it. I don't think anyone would. Anybody, you've heard that voice. And secondly, anybody's tried to teach you and you found yourself feeling that you somehow after, at, at this point of your maturity, you should be uh, earning something. And it's by doing this or by doing that that you're somehow lifted to another elite status as a, as a Christian and you've begun to earn your righteousness somehow by your good deeds and your faithful service. And those thoughts have come in and tried to steal that simple foundation of the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Anybody want to say, that's me. I've had the devil talking to me. I know it. And I, today I recognize I come back to the cross. Just lift your hand if that's you. I come back. Hold it up. I just come back to the cross of Jesus Christ. I come back to the cross. It's what he's done and he's done alone. And his blood is enough. It has not lost its power. His blood is enough for me. Tell him that right now. Lord, your blood is enough for me. It will never lose its power. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray right now for every one of us with our hands lifted. We just, in fact, why don't we all just say this together? Heavenly Father, you sent your beloved son to die for me. He died for my sins. He died for all my sins. I am so thankful. I believe it. I embrace his cross again. He's my Savior and will be to the last breath in my body. Jesus Christ, I call you Lord. I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to be cleansed. I want to be free. I want to be free of sin. Until I am. Thank you for washing me. For loving me. For fighting for me. For putting your arms around me. And never letting me go. Someday, when I get to heaven, and I stand on that sea of glass, I'm going to worship. I'm going to shout. I'm going to rejoice. Because you reached down and saved me. You are a great and a faithful friend. In Jesus' name I confess it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.